Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The bill that was passed means that there could be an effective tax rate of up to 72%. That includes a 33% tax on gross casino receipts that Chicago would uh, be able to take in. That is a huge amount, and all indications are that at that level, you're not going to get anybody to come in and build a casino or develop it from scratch. That's the voice of Bob Reed with Chicago Magazine. This is WBBM's In-Depth, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. I'm Cisco Cotto. This week, we're talking about the expansion of gambling in Illinois, including sports betting. We'll also look at competition from neighboring states and prospects of a Chicago casino. First off, we want to talk about legal sports betting coming to Illinois. There's a report. One market forecast could be more than $5 billion bet locally within just the next several years. Brendan Bussman is joining us now. Brendan is gaming, sports, hospitality partner, director of government affairs at Global Market Advisors. He is based in Vegas. Uh, Brendan, I mean, $5 billion, that just seems like so much money. But that, that's what what is that, pent-up demand? What's going on? Well, you know, there's a couple of things that probably go into that number. Um, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily pent-up demand, but, you know, Illinois is a strong sports uh, state, um, not only with the pro teams, but the college teams there as well. Um, and there's a huge illegal market that's been going on there for decades. And uh, there's an opportunity to recapture that and put dollars back into uh, the uh, coffers of the state and uh, with the legalization of sports betting. And realize that that billion-plus dollar number, the billions that are out there, is a, is the total wager. When it comes push comes to shove off of this, uh, you know, the taxable amount is a much, much smaller number along the way. You talk about illegal uh, sports betting. Obviously, that's been going on since the beginning of time. Uh, is there a belief that maybe this will kill the illegal side of it? Because if you can do it legally, why do you have to go to the book who's, you know, in the back of the restaurant somewhere? Well, that's obviously the goal um, and one that obviously can be achieved with the right market conditions. And, you know, Illinois was was one of those states that uh, has adopted mobile wagering as as a vehicle to do that, which obviously uh, is key in capturing that illegal dollars. Um, you see that today with what's going on in, in the mobile wagering in Indiana, uh, part of which is coming from those in Chicago and elsewhere. Um, and, uh, you know, convenience and, and to be able to communicate with fans uh, and regular sports bettors in an effective way is what's going to help kill that illegal market that exists today. Probably too early since Indiana just got rolling and, and several of the other states. Is there a chance that the mobile aspect of this, the convenience aspect that you mentioned, is there a chance that that will get people wagering more and more and more where it, it may end up being a problem? You know, obviously you always want to make sure that anytime you have access that you have consumer protections and, uh, in this case, responsible gaming measures in place. And, and responsible operators take that seriously or are going to make sure that there are the safety nets for those that may have a problem to occur. But, you know, as we've talked earlier, 
Uh, mobile already exists in the illegal market. You know, most of these bookies today, whether they be offshore books or, or the guy down the street, has an app, and, you, you know, you place your bets on it, and you're able to fund your account. Um, and so mobile is really the only way to compete effectively with that. For people who are excited about it, let, let's talk about what it's actually going to look like. Uh, you, you get your phone out, you, you place your wager. What kinds of things are you going to be able to wager on? I'm thinking, all right, you know, I'm a big Bears fan. Am I just wagering on whether the Bears beat the Packers, or are there all sorts of things I'm going to be able to bet on? Well, obviously, you'll be able to do the stuff that, that you can do and have been able to do in Vegas for decades of, you know, hey, who's going to win the game, the point spread, over under those types of things. But where mobile really also helps is on the in-game wagering side. And that may be, uh, you know, how many uh, pass completions a player may have uh, during a football game, number of rebounds in a basketball game. Um, and that's where data is key in making sure that you have that in real time so that those people that want to partake in a much more uh, and deeper experience have that ability to do that and, and put, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to call them smaller wagers, but more individual wagers than, than the overall game and and uh, over-unders. Given the fact that it's legal, you, know, you, you don't have to hide it anymore once it is finally up and running here in Illinois, uh, I'm just wondering if it becomes uh, maybe a, a social event. Younger people really want more of an experience, and so I'm wondering if you, you're going to end up with these sports wagering parties or or if even just Sunday afternoon watching the game is going to be different. Well, I think I think the fan engagement and the ability to communicate fans is is very key in that effort. Um, and innovation comes into that, not just the conversation that they're having, but it's going to change the experience. Uh, you know, both in an in-game setting, whether you be um, at uh, the United Center or at Soldier Field, um, as well as those that are sitting home on on the couch, even on the free-to-play side. Uh, you know, with those apps that exist today with, with uh, uh, sports-related things, you see an increase in activity of people as they get into the game so much that, you know, the average NBA fan watches about 37 minutes of the game. I've seen free-to-play apps take them up to 87 minutes that they watch, which obviously then turns into further dollars for teams. Uh, both in selling merchandise and tickets as well as sponsorship dollars. Is that one of the things that turned teams around? I mean, at first they were against this whole idea. Now they're really embracing it. Well, I think I think you've had, you know, a couple things happen. And part of it's been education um, with with teams and leagues to be able to say, you know, hey, this has been going on. How do we embrace it now that it is legal after 25 years of being, uh, you know, kicked to the curb uh, with PASPA? But, uh, you know, I think it's still a very new market and what can be done. And, you know, if I'm a team or a league or, or even a, an operator of a sports book, I want to be able to have that conversation and understand my fans more um, while continuing to offer them a great product through innovative means and, and have that conversation. I think we're only at the beginning of that frontier. In that sense, it sort of seems like fantasy sports, whether it's baseball, football, what have you. At first, the leagues kind of pushed back against it. And then they said, hey, wait, we can make a connection here. Well, absolutely, and I think, you know, for, for teams that we've worked with uh, currently and in the past, you know, for them it's it's a host of different things of being able to do stuff of not only can I sell tickets and merchandise, but how do I understand my fan more and get them more engaged in it? And, you know, whether that's somebody that, you know, is a, is a Bulls fan or, or a Cubs fan that, that's sitting in, uh, you know, the Chicagoland area, or if they're sitting out here in Vegas or Florida or elsewhere – 
um, you know, uh, sports wagering and, and fan engagement allows them to do that in a much more meaningful way wherever they're at in the world. Here in Illinois, it's taken a while to get this up and running, and it's not yet up and running. Uh, just talk about all of the legal issues, all the infrastructure, everything that has to be in place in order for this to get launched. Well, there's there's a lot of things, and obviously the first portion of it, which is the current phase that things are in um, post-legalization, uh, is the regulatory structure and getting those uh, rules set up in place so operators and suppliers uh, know what what they're operating uh, under and the, and the ability of what they can and can't do. Um, and then it's getting those that are licensed along the way to be able to do that. So you're very much in the preset of things and being able to get people licensed, uh, finalize the regulations, and do all those things. And then it's then it becomes the operational standpoint of getting servers in place for mobile, getting sports books in where you know uh, operators want to. Obviously, the lottery is a component two within the state of Illinois and getting those locations up and going. So you definitely have to move some some brick and mortar type things and, and um, you know, back end infrastructure to get things rolling. Then, uh, you know, they'll launch uh, when everything of all that's in place. So I'm, I'm hopeful that sometime this spring, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how that still plays out. We'll talk more about sports betting in just a few minutes, but there are other gaming options that are supposed to be coming to Chicagoland, namely a Chicago casino. We had all sorts of fanfare about a Chicago casino. It was going to be imminent. It was going to be a big moneymaker for the city. And yet here we sit months after the legislation was passed in Springfield and really no casino on the horizon Let's talk about this with Bob Reed. Bob is a business writer and contributor for Chicago Magazine. Bob, what's going on here? We still have no casino. That's absolutely right. You know, there's a lot of questions right now, and they're looking to Springfield yet again to answer these questions. And the big issue is the uh, taxes that are associated with any kind of new casino. The bill that was passed means that there could be an effective tax rate of up to 72%. That includes a 33% tax on gross casino receipts that Chicago would uh, be able to take in. Uh, That is a huge amount, and all indications are that at that level, you're not going to get anybody to come in and build a casino or develop it from scratch. And when we first heard that, I think there were a lot of people who thought that was a bluff, you know, just an attempt to get the tax rate down. But now here we are all these months later, and no, it, it actually looks legitimate. Well, and that goes back to uh, the whole gaming bill, which was sort of this omnibus bill that gave a lot of the downstate areas more uh, casinos and more gaming positions, and Chicago wanted to be in on that. Uh, I think the the bet was, if you will, that they were going to clean up a lot of this stuff, either in trailer bills during the veto session or uh, now in January, but it remains to be seen if all of that's going to come together. It's going to be a pretty heavy lift uh, to get these things fixed after the fact. Now, even if the if the city doesn't own it, that was one idea that came up, that maybe the city would own the casino. Uh, if it doesn't, but they do finally agree to lower the taxes, it would seem like the city is still making money off of this. because it's, it's money that's still coming to their coffers, no matter what the rate is. Yeah, it would take a while for that money to come in, but I think you're right. If they make it more appealing to a developer, the city is going to get a lot of good money out of this. And, you know, there's talk that it would be north of $800 million if it went on any of the sites that the city had proposed uh, looking into. And if it was a downtown site, it may be even more. And that's one of the big issues. Where do you build it and uh, where should it be located? 
And there's a school of thought that uh, if you want to have a more economic equality, that you put it out into the neighborhoods. But there are others who say if you want to attract tourists and uh, leverage off those tourism dollars, it's got to be downtown and associated with uh, the major theaters and hotels. And economically, that's what you want, isn't it? You want people from other places dropping their money in slot machines and not it being all Chicagoans? Well, it would seem to me that's what you want, but I know that there is a concern about keeping the money that's going into Indiana, for instance, uh, and uh, on the border, uh, even up to Wisconsin. So there's an argument to be made that if you put it on the southeast side of Chicago, uh, that you would recapture a lot of that money. But there are those who say that lacks vision, that what you really need is something that is going to do exactly what you're talking about. Tap into the tourist dollar, uh, maybe get more people to come here or spend more time here and spend money gambling. You know, either way you look at it, it's going to be a big bet. So who needs to bend here? Who who needs to be willing to make some changes? Is it the mayor? Is it the governor? Is is it both of them? More people? What, What needs to happen? All of the above. And what's going on, particularly in Springfield right now, is that there's a lot of shifting waters. Uh, You know, Senate uh, President John Cullerton has retired. There's an overall federal investigation into some state lawmakers that's put the House Speaker Mike Madigan on the defensive. And Governor Pritzker's got uh, a big thing on his plate, too, which is the, um, the new tax that he's trying to get approved and the flat tax that he, uh, I'm sorry, the um, the tax that he's trying to get approved, the progressive tax. And all of that's going to factor into this equation about what do you do with the Chicago casino. So it's going to take a, a, a lot of um, playing ball, if you will, to get this done. And who knows if they're going to be able to do it by the deadline. At some point, there it would seem that they just come down to the, the fact that there's a boatload of money riding on this. Uh, there's pension money. There's infrastructure money. It would seem like at some point both the governor and the mayor go, hey, we have plans for that money. We need to figure out how to get this way, get this thing done. I think that's the most compelling argument that can be made. Uh, the capital plan that was passed is counting on a lot of this revenue to help it along. Uh, obviously, the police and fire pensions need help. Uh, they have to be shored up. That's really the issue. You know, where are these new revenues going to come from? But at the same time, you can't get revenues from a casino that nobody wants to build. So they're going to have to find a way to lower this tax rate, make it more attractive to developers and casino companies, and then see where it goes. Maybe there hasn't been a lot of talk about this. I don't know if these companies have spoken up or not. But uh, if I'm one of the owners of the casinos, say Aurora Elgin, one of these other suburban casinos, I don't know if I'm all that happy about Chicago building a nice big casino palace. Well, you probably aren't. And, you know, that uh, factors into this, too. How much are the downstate representatives going to be willing to help out Chicago? That's always a big question whenever you talk about gaming. And whenever you do a gaming bill, everybody gets into the act, including the horse tracks and uh, video gaming and so on. And that's absolutely right. You know, there's the promise of all these revenues, but there's an argument to be made that the market is getting saturated and maybe oversaturated when you start uh, factoring in sports betting as well. So there's an awful lot of um, action going on, but whether it's going to be as profitable as everybody thinks uh, isn't for certain. And then what do you do uh, if you get to the point where you've approved all this, you've built all this, you have the electronic gaming and so many bars and restaurants already? Uh, there's really nothing you can do if you don't get those expected returns because the genie's out of the bottle. Well, that's right. I mean, there's a lot of money being put out in order to get this thing up and running. 
And there's one more factor, which is that younger people tend to like to do uh, gaming and betting on their phones. Uh, they have completely different priorities, and one of the things the current casinos are concerned about is that they're not attracting enough millennials and younger people into the casinos. So if that traffic starts dropping off and going over to the Internet, you're going to have to find a way to keep them, uh, and, and that's going to require spending more money and doing more marketing and more advertising and a lot of other things. So the costs are only going to go up. And that gets back to something we talked about a couple moments ago. If even the, the casinos that are already here are not doing the same business that they were doing, well, that's less and less tax dollars that a lot of these municipalities are counting on. That's absolutely right. And any municipality that expects a windfall is probably going to be disappointed. But having said that, this is one area where you can generate new revenue, uh, new taxes, and try to address some of these long, lingering problems that are going on, particularly pensions. And I don't think municipalities have a great deal of um, leeway. They have to find a way to attack these problems, and gaming is one of the ways to do it. Let's turn back now to sports betting here in Illinois and get another take on just how big this could be. And for that, we can look to the surrounding states that have already legalized this. Adam Candy is joining us. Adam is managing editor at LegalSportsReport.com, LegalSportsReport.com. He is based in Las Vegas. Adam, talk to us. What's been going on in some of the surrounding states? I think relative to Illinois' budget, it might not look as large, but when you consider just how quickly things have begun, especially in uh, neighboring Indiana, you would say that the market has come together fairly quickly. In November in Indiana, there was $147 million wagered on sports legally, and about 65% of that came via mobile, so by smartphone, tablet, et cetera. And if we look at uh, how betting came to be in Indiana in that month, you also see that the casinos that are in closest proximity to Chicago, Horseshoe Hammond and Maristar East Chicago have been some of the more successful ones in terms of their retail operations. So when you have a city like Chicago in a state like Illinois, it sounds like it could be even way more lucrative here. Absolutely. Uh, The Chicago market specifically and Illinois as a whole, one of the more lucrative and anticipated markets in all of the U.S. legal sports betting industry. Obviously, as you know, there was a law passed last year that will enable legal sports betting in Illinois. Of course, we're still awaiting the rollout of that. Uh, Should be expecting that sometime in 2020. Now, you touched on uh, mobile. That's something that you mentioned. I think when a lot of people think of sports betting, they think someone actually has to get in their car and head somewhere in order to place a bet, but that's not necessarily the case. No, it's not. Uh, The future of the U.S. legal sports betting market appears to be largely based on being able to bet directly from your phone. Now, if you look at the way New Jersey's market has rolled out, they were one of the first to start a legal sports betting operation after the Supreme Court decision enabling that last year. They now see uh, over the last 12-month period that 85% of wagers were placed via smartphone or tablet. Folks in that state are able to register for an account and fund that account without having to leave their own home. Now, the restriction is that you do need to be located physically within the state's borders 
in order to place that wager. You don't need to be a resident of the state, but you do need to be inside the state, and that's verified by the geolocation on your phone. Talk about that, geolocation. So they're able to say, at this moment, you are in, we'll say, Indiana. At this moment, you are in Indiana, so you can place a bet. If you drive back over into Illinois, we know that you're no longer in uh, Indiana, and so you can't place a bet. That is accurate, and I think if you look at how things have developed with Chicago and with those casinos in neighboring Indiana, that's exactly how it's happened, is that folks who are interested in placing wagers, they might not even drive all the way to one of the casinos that is nearby to Chicago. They might get just as far over the border as they need to for their phone to locate them within the state of Indiana and be able to place their wagers in that form. It's the same GPS that your phone would use to locate you if you use Google Maps or Waze for directions. Yeah, it's still early on, I guess, in in legalized nationwide sports betting as more and more states come online. Uh, Have we been able to tell yet... Uh, crime? I mean, is is this the sort of thing where things kind of get sketchy, or is it so regulated that it's pretty much all above board? One of the main aims of the U.S. legal sports betting industry is to eliminate the black market, to eliminate illegal wagering, because most of that is taking place right now via sites that people might think are legal but really are not, like Bovada and, and others that have been mentioned quite often in the media, those operate offshore in Costa Rica and other places, and those are the illegal market. When it comes to wagering in the U.S. legal market, uh, operators and regulators have the same concern. They want this to be done above board. They want to make sure that everyone is above age and, uh, and legal to be able to place those wagers. So when you first start the account, when you register, There are fairly robust know-your-customer checks, uh, known in the industry as KYC, that are going to verify that you are who you say you are, and they'll do that by a variety of identifying information that's run through a series of databases. Yeah, maybe too early to tell again, but I'm thinking like casinos that came here to Illinois at first – it was a tourist attraction. You have people from all over the place coming. But once more and more states legalize it, then it, it seems like it would just end up being people from your own state who are doing this. It certainly could be that way. I think when you look at the way that Nevada and New Jersey first uh, developed the market over the last 18 months, there was great concern that those who were traveling to Las Vegas would no longer travel to Las Vegas to bet on sports. And I think what we've seen is that the pent-up demand is certainly ready to meet the additional supply. Uh, Nevada just had its largest month of handle. That's the amount bet on sports last month, and that's with 13 other states having legal sports betting. At the same time, New Jersey, since it began taking legal sports wagers, has seen more than $5 billion wagered just in that state. So the demand certainly appears to be ready to meet the new supply. It's not like you have to bet the house here, right? Is that why maybe so many people are playing and you're getting so much money spent on this? Because you could, if you want, 5 10 15 20 bucks. you don't have to bet your whole paycheck. There are some places, in fact, that the wager can be as little as 10 cents. Uh, it's just a matter of whatever you're comfortable with within your budget. And there are ways to set limits on uh, on yourself in terms of responsible gaming. So $5, $10, $20, those are some of the more common wagers. And when we see the interest of uh, the professional sports leagues as they try to get involved in this, 
those are the players that they're looking for. This is not the guy with the cigar sitting and talking to a bookie who might be placing much, much larger wagers. It is uh, a more approachable, casual market that I think is the true growth opportunity in the U.S. It's one of the things that fascinates me about this is that you have the professional sports teams who are saying, hey, let's embrace this instead of pushing it off. And I'm just imagining what this might look like someday. I mean, people go to a, a Cubs game at Wrigley Field or a Sox game on the south side and, and literally in the concourse or something. Somewhere nearby, uh, you're, you're going to be able to bet on these games, and the teams will absolutely embrace it. Uh, it's really been an interesting evolution of that because if you look at the PASPA case, uh, which was the case that in May of 2018 was the one that advanced to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court struck down the federal ban on sports betting and allowed states to make individual decisions about legalizing it was the professional sports leagues who were opposing. And if you look at some of the quotes they gave over time, they talked about it as a potential threat to their existence. Now, when you dig a little deeper into that, you see that now they are the ones trying to get a piece of the profits. So as you mentioned, it could be at Wrigley. It could be at any of the stadiums in the Chicago area. In fact, it's likely and it's enabled within the law. And somewhere Pete Rose is just shaking his head. I can just imagine how this is going here. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Pete Rose um, is definitely someone who might be saying to himself, well, you know, um, what if this were different during this during uh, my era? But it is very clear in all of the laws that have been passed uh, in states across the country that those with a uh, with an interest in sports, whether it's players, managers, league officials, they are roundly banned still from being able to place wagers. It will sure be interesting to see how it all works out when it is up and running. Thanks for joining us for this week's in-depth podcast. Next week, our discussion on Great Lakes water levels. The latest forecast says Lake Michigan and Huron will rise above record levels. It's threatening houses, buildings, and shorelines all across the region. We'll talk about that next week. Be sure to subscribe to receive this free podcast every Wednesday. And, of course, listen anytime for the stories that matter by listening to WBBM on the Radio.com app or on your radio. I'm Cisco Cody.